Shall we pray? Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for his death, his burial, and his resurrection. We thank you that he became sin, that we might become your righteousness. We thank you for the Holy Spirit. We thank you that that power that raised up Christ from the dead dwells in us. That power is alive and working in us. That power is vitalizing and bringing life to our mortal bodies. We thank you that you have filled our mouth with laughter. We thank you that the lines are falling on us in pleasant places. We thank you that we can never be disadvantaged because you are our Father. We pray and may Christ alone be exalted in our midst in the name of our Lord Jesus. Amen. Wow, we thank God for this opportunity, for granting us the grace to see another day. Indeed, we must work the works of him who has sent us while it is day. For the night season of our life is coming, where no man will be able to work. We are continuing our study on rightly dividing around the eighth part. <laughs> what we call this one a, a Kumawood movie. We are going all the way to about ten or nine parts. <laughs> so please bear with us. Paul told Timothy that endure sound doctrine. So sound doctrine is meant to be endured. So please endure with us. We will soon end this interesting series. But I've been looking at 2 Timothy 2.15 and I hope by now, or we have all memorized the scripture because I've been saying it over and over again. Peter tells us that sanctify the Lord your God in your heart. Always be ready to make a defense to anybody who asks you the reason for the hope that is in you. So when people ask you, what is the hope? What hope do you have in living for God? What hope? What is energizing you? What is motivating you to live for God? You should be able to make a defense. And sadly, some of us are unable. That's why like Adam and Eve, we are falling for the lies of the enemy. So when the enemy tells us that God is hiding something good from you, so you must steal this money. You must rob your boss. You must be dishonest. So Paul said, I know whom I have believed. Do you know whom you have believed? We are now looking, we are continuing our study on the Old Testament. And that's where many issues have, when it comes to rightly dividing, many people have issues about this one said this, this one said that, this one said this, and all those things. But last week we started to learn about how to rightly divide the Old Testament. And we establish and teach that the Old Testament is referred to as scripture in the Bible or in the New Testament. So wherever you see scripture in the New Testament, technically is referring to the Old Testament. And we realize that according to the New Testament, the Old Testament is called or is categorized under the law and the prophets. And last week I gave us several examples, the law and the prophets. And the law and the prophets are represented by two people. And they are the two people that came to see Jesus on Mount Sinai, on the Mount of Transfiguration. You know, Jesus took Peter, James, and John. And the question is, what was the essence of that transfiguration? Hopefully, by the end of the study, I will answer it. 
So we continue our study. We are still continuing. <laughs> it's not as if we have stopped. But I just saw a scripture, Isaiah 28, verse 9, that I want us to start from. The scripture I, I saw this week, and I just fell in love with it. Isaiah 28, verse 9. is asking, Whom shall he teach knowledge? And who shall he make to understand doctrine? He's asking, Who will God take knowledge? And who will God make to understand doctrine? And he's providing answer. Them that are weaned for milk. And I remember about the two or three episodes ago, I used the same word, wean, that God was weaning the people of Israel out of the culture of Egypt. And God is weaned, or God also weaned us from the law or from sin by giving us the law. So you don't just introduce your child to heavy meals. Well, you'll be introducing mashed potatoes or yam or rice. Then before I realize your child is eating the heavy stuff. And it's the same principle that God used in teaching us. That is why you must read the whole Bible holistically. Because some truths you see in the Bible may be milk. Some truths you see in the Bible may be pounded yam or rice or potato. For me, the Ghanaians and Africans. And some may be <laughs> pizza and lasagna and toast or whatever. But you don't just wake up and start eating toast. It's the same way God deals with us progressively. And this is the reason why we must rightly divide. Because the truth in the word of God is a progressive truth. So don't hold on to milk and say the milk you have found is fufu or is banku or is lasagna or is beggar. What you have found with the milk. And milk is good for a particular stage of your life. But when you are 20 years old and you are still taking breast milk, the less said about you, the better. <laughs> he said, those who he has weaned from milk and drawn from the breast, you must start from the breast. And these people that he has weaned from the milk and drawn from the breast are those that he will teach knowledge and make doctrine understandable to them. How does he do it? Verse 10. For precept must be upon precept. Precept upon precept. Line upon line. Line upon line. Here a little and there a little. Now, if you notice the repetition, that's the verse 10. This is how we teach doctrine. So there are certain precepts that God will teach you. When you get that one, for example, nature of God, God didn't reveal his trying nature to man at once. He did what precept upon precept, line upon line, gradually here a letter, there a letter. So even the doctrine about whichever doctrine, Trinity, Rapture, whichever thing, you will not see everything bundled up in one chapter. That's why I thought the Bible was not written topically. But God will teach you here a little, there a little, line upon line, line upon line. That's why I personally like teaching in series. In fact, that's the only way I can teach. So if you have noticed, the shortest series I've done is two-part series. I have a challenge teaching everything in one episode. <laughs> so I like to teach precept upon precept, line upon line, and line upon line. So that's Isaiah teaches how God teaches. So please bear with us in the lengthy series. We are trying to follow precept upon precept. <laughs> so we are continuing about the law, how to understand the law and the prophets. That is the Old Testament. And last week, we started looking about how Jesus dealt with the question that was brought to him about divorce. And we saw how Jesus answered it, how Jesus was able to rightly divide the word. Let's look at another example. In Matthew 15, they brought another question to him. On this one, something happened, and they came to query Jesus, that Jesus are not obeying the law. Matthew chapter 15, verse 1. 
then came to Jesus scribes and Pharisees which were of Jerusalem saying why do thy disciples transgress the tradition of the elders eh why for they wash not their hands when they eat bread so they are coming to Jesus your people they are not obeying what the prophets and the law have given us what the tradition of our fathers what papa moses what papa aaron what papa samuel what the papas have given to us why are you not obeying it and let's see what Jesus answered and said unto them he answered and said unto them why do you transgress the commandment of god by your tradition for god commanded saying honor thy father and thy mother he that curseth his father or his mother let him die the death but ye see whosoever shall say to his father or his mother it's a gift but whatsoever thou mightest be profited by me verse 6 and honor not his father or his mother he shall be free does he have made the commandment of god of none effect by your tradition and this is something very interesting and i made mention of it last week they asked that why you are you not doing this and they said why are you so not obeying the commandment of god saying that honor your father and your mother but rather what you will do is that you say that whatever i get out of profit and i give it to you i'm giving you a gift it's like i'm giving you leftovers i give you of your, your parents leftovers this is not an honor from god or this is not the way god expects us to honor our parents and this is the same thing people do they are selective with the law they take aspects of the law they are okay with which is not even in the law but that's what they take but that same scripture says that you should not practice mixed farming that same scripture says that you should not shave the edges of your hair that same scripture or that same chapter says that you should not wear a dress that contains different garments so if you are wearing linen or lining it should be 100% lining if you are wearing cotton it should be 100% cotton but please open your wardrobe and look at your shirts if they are made up of only one garment so what's your issue that's what they were saying then verse 6 you hypocrites did Elijah not prophesy okay claim not good about to look at his response to the eating and that verse then and he called the multitude and said unto them hear and understand it is not what enters your mouth that defiles a man but what comes out of your mouth this defiles a man verse 12 then he came to the disciples and said unto them every plant which my heavenly father had not planted he shall uproot like he was saying but i want to address the question the hair so verse 15 then answered peter and said unto him declare unto us this parable and jesus said are you also not without understanding do you not also understand that so even though jesus gave an answer peter still did not get it because peter was a strict jew he believed in the fact that what enters your mouth defiles you he believes in the fact that you must observe some ritual cleansing before you can put food So even though Jesus had given the explanation Peter was not convinced. So Peter came for further explanation and Jesus in the verse 17 said that do you not also understand that whatsoever entereth in at the mouth goeth out of the belly and is cast into the earth verse 18 but that which proceeds out of the mouth they come from your heart and they defile a man verse 19 for out of the heart proceeded evil thoughts murders adulteries fornicators theft false witness blasphemies blah 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 verse 20 these are the things which defile a man but to eat with an unwashed hands defileth not a man this is very important jesus is telling peter that i've already given the explanation 
So even though Jesus had given the explanation, Peter was not convinced. So Peter came for further explanation. And Jesus in the verse 17, he said that, Do you not also understand that whatsoever entered in at the mouth, goeth out of the belly, and is cast into the drought, still do not get it. So you have to explain again that, ah, what you eat, it comes out into the into the drought, verse 18, but that which proceeds out of the mouth, they come from your heart, and they defile a man, verse 19. For out of the heart proceeded evil thoughts, murders, adulterers, fornicators, theft, false witness, blasphemies, blah, 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 blah. Verse 20. These are the things which defile a man. It is very important. And it's your words that defile you because your words are a, a revelation of the content of your heart. So it's not about what you eat. And interestingly, Peter still did not get it. Because if you go to the book of Acts, Peter was praying, he was hungry, and he had a vision. And he saw four, beast, uh, four animals coming from heaven unto him. And a voice said, Peter, arise, kill and eat. But Peter said, ah, me as a Jew, I have never eaten an unclean food. So even though Jesus has told Peter that it's not the food you eat that makes you clean, still, but Peter did not get it. So God had to give the guy a vision, the hey, brother, wake up, kill and eat the thing. Still, Peter did not get it. And the vision happened for three times. Before the voice said something very pleasant, the voice told Peter that, what I have cleansed, how dare you call unclean? And many of us are like Papa Peter. So now the issue is that, why then did God tell them in the Old Testament to observe some cleansing before they eat? It is simple, because of sanitary purposes. This is as simple as it is. But you see, because as Isaiah said, in hearing they will not hear, and in seeing they will not see. So even though Jesus told Peter, that is not what enters your mouth. When God gave Peter meat, you God gave him meat to eat. We are telling God that you have been a Jew all your training, right from Moses, and that is the law and the prophets. You have been told not to eat this type of meat, so you know it. Mercy upon us. <laughs> you see what Peter has done? It's the same thing we do. Matthew 11, 13. It's Okay, let's put the scripture we And from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffered violent, and the violent taken by force. This was with the prayer papers. But the verse 13 is this for all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. All the prophets and the law, they were prophesying. Remember, last week they, they have only one prophet called the prophecy of scripture. That is talking about what the sufferings of Jesus and the glory that should come after. In other words, the prophecy of the Old Testament was about the person of Jesus and the work he would come and do. The Lord of John, because John was the doorway or is the doorway with the manifestation. If now the prophecy has been manifested, there is no need for prophecy. So when John came, John ended an era. And how did John end an era? He ended the era by introducing the manifestation of the prophecy. Who is Jesus Christ? Jesus is the prophecy of scripture. Jesus is the word, the word, not the words. Jesus is the fulfillment of prophecy. So when John came to introduce the realization of the prophecy, the prophecies must come to an end. Because it's like, a prophet is telling you that you get a car. So every day you go for prayer meeting. I'm seeing God giving you a car. I'm seeing God giving you a car. But when the car comes, do you still need to prophesy that God is giving you a car? Absolutely not. And this, I don't know why many of us are having issues with this. 
This was the essence of the transfiguration of Jesus. I think we should just read the scripture. Matthew 17. Even though I said I'm not be reading scripture on this for us, we should go and read it ourselves. But Matthew 17, verse 1. After six days, Jesus taken Peter, James, and John, his brother, and bringeth them into a high mountain apart, and was transfigured before them, and his face did shine as the sun, and his raiment was white as the light. And behold, there appeared unto him Moses, representing the law, and Elisha, representing the prophets. Because Moses was the mediator. He was the one that stood between God and the people. And Elisha, the one who represented the prophets, he ushered into manifestation the prophetic era. Or he's the one, he's the class prophet of the prophets. And Moses is the class prophet of the law. So the two of them came, representing what the law and the prophets. Now, look at what, what Peter said, verse 4. Then Peter answered and said unto Jesus, Lord, is it good for us to be here? <laughs> you see, okay, let me go ahead. Let me just take my time. It's, it's just interesting. Is it good for us to be there? If thou will, let us make three tabernacles. Oh, Papa Peter. Let's make three tabernacles. One for thee and one for Moses and Elijah. Verse 5. While he spoke, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And behold, a voice out of the cloud in whom I am well pleased. What the voice say? Listen to him. This is all that the voice came to say. So the question is, what is so important about saying this, that a cloud had to come? God is saying that there are three people you are seeing. Moses representing the law, Elisha representing the prophets, and Jesus. By saying that among these three, it is Jesus who is my beloved son. And what am I expecting you to do? Listen to Jesus. Do not listen to Moses. Do not listen to Elijah. Listen to Jesus. Because he is the prophecy of the prophets. He is the manifestation of the law. And you see, what Peter said was that, Peter saying that, let me build three tabernacles, one for you, Moses and Elijah. Peter was equating Jesus to Moses and Elijah. Peter was thinking that Jesus is classmates with Moses and Elijah. And that's what many of us we do. We think the law is the classmate of grace or the message of Jesus, the gospel of Jesus. We think the prophets is the classmate of the gospel of Jesus. They are not classmates. And you see what Peter did? That's one thing. The next meaning of Peter's statement was that he was thinking that the law and the prophets have come to stay with grace. So he said that, let me build one for the law. Let me build one for the prophets. Let me build one for grace. So you want to build a tabernacle because a tabernacle is a dwelling place. But that the law is not your dwelling place. The prophets are not your dwelling place. The gospel of Jesus Christ is our dwelling place. So look at Peter. They say Peter that Jesus, it is Matthew 16. Matthew, we just read Matthew 15. When God was telling him about the fact that, so when Jesus was saying that, it's not about what enters your mouth that give you transfiguration. This same man, you have been, he has had Acts 2 experience, the, the upper room experience. Yet still, when he had a vision of meat, he still was holding on to the law and the prophets. So you see the way in quote, God is suffering in willingness out of the law. Papa Peter, you have had a vision. And the only thing the vision came to say was that, listen to Jesus. Listen to the gospel of Jesus. Listen to it. So are we saying that the law and the prophet is useless? No, it had a purpose. 
And what was the purpose of the law and the prophets? The purpose of the law and the prophets is was to clear the way for Jesus. The law and the prophets spoke or their messages came in three forms. That's what we ended on last week. One of them is called shadows. The other one is called allegories. And the other one is called types. Types. T-Y-P-E-S. So just as Jesus spoke in parables, remember Jesus was speaking to the multitude. He spoke to them in parables. But when he was speaking, Jesus would explain things to the multitude. They won't get it. And even Peter, he still did not get it. So if Papa Peter was not getting it, the multitudes will not get it. That's why Jesus did not bother to explain it to them. But he rather said, when the Spirit comes, even the disciples that Jesus walked with, he told them severally that I am going to die and I will resurrect. Yet still, on the road to Emmaus, two of his disciples still doubted. And so Jesus had to blast them. That are you still so dull in hearing? When I was with you, I told you that I would die and after three days I would resurrect. Yet that <laughs> Jesus went to, to cause commotion, if I should say, in the tabernacle. He said it, that in three days, he said, I will break this in, in one day, then in three days I will rebuild it, talking about his body. So even Jesus, when he was with them, he again told them, after he had caused the commotion at the temple, that I would destroy this temple in one day, and in three days I will rebuild it. They still did not get that he was talking about his body, which is the temple of God. So it was after his resurrection and they had received the Holy Spirit before they understood that, oh, oh, when he said all these things. So even though Jesus was speaking to them in plain words, because of spiritual dullness, they still could not get it. But thank God for us. Thank God that we have the Holy Spirit. Thank God that he doesn't speak to us in parables, but he speaks to us plainly. He doesn't communicate to us in hiding, but it comes plainly to us. So the Old Testament, as I said, they are full of three things. Shadow, like shadow. Then we have what we call types, T-Y-P-E-S. Then we have what we call allegories. So let's start with the first one. What are shadows? I know some of you, this may be the first time. But when we say shadows, or shadows can also be called figures. Figure, F-I-G-U-R-E. So in the Old Testament, one of the ways God communicated or the Old Testament is full of shadows of figures and realities. And the New Testament is full of realities. Now let's produce what this is all about. Now, shadow as in a normal shadow, if I believe you did a little bit science, that is light energy you would have or you. Or if you don't need to even do science, you know how shadows are formed. Now in shadow, there are three things that make a shadow. One, you need light, a source of light. Then two, you need a substance or a matter, if I should say. So the matter must come in between the light source and the surface. So if there's a wall or a floor or a board and a light is showing on it, immediately um, a substance or what is a matter or whatever comes in between the light source and the surface, a shadow would be cast. So that's how can we have the terminology about shadow. Now, what is this saying? This simply means that there is a light that is coming. There's a substance. But because, you know, when a room is full of light, no shadows can be cast. But shadows come about because of darkness. So we use the terminology shadows because 
a light is coming, but something is blocking or the object or light is showing on the object. Sorry, light is being shown on an object. But because the light cannot engulf the whole object, the portion where the light is not shown casts a shadow on the surface. So what is the, what is the meaning of all these shadows and types? Let's go into the Bible. I'll explain from there. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 1. So now I look at the first way God communicated in the Old Testament using shadows of figures and their realities. So to every shadow or to every shadow and a figure, there is a reality. So Hebrews chapter 10 verse 1. I would appreciate it if you can all read it. We can look at it. So I know that I'm not conjoined something. For the law, <laughs> remember the law and the prophets. He says, for the law, having a shadow of good things to come, and not the very image of the things can never with those sacrifices which were offered year by year continually make the comers thereon perfect. The first part, for the law having a shadow of the good things to come, meaning that one, the law is not a good thing, but the law is casting a shadow of a good thing. <laughs> Don't worry, by we can just take one scripture, right? Let's go to Hebrews 8, verse 5. Hebrews 8, verse 5. Who served unto the example and the shadow of heavenly things. He's talking about the priest. So you can read from verse 1. He's saying that, okay, let's just read it. Let's start from verse 3. For every high priest is ordained to offer gifts and sacrifices. Wherefore, it is of necessity that this man have somewhat also to offer. For if he were of the earth, he should not be of a priest, seeing that a priest that offers the gifts according to the law. He who said, that's the law, and if we realize, they use um, um, a column. So you see that seeing that the priest that offer gifts according to the law, and explain what the law is. The law served as an example and the shadow of heavenly things. The law served as what an example and a shadow of heavenly things. Okay, let's take another one. Colossians 2, verse 17. Colossians 2, verse number 17. Let's start with verse 16. Let no man therefore judge you in meat or in drink or in respect of an holy day or a new moon or of the Sabbath days. <laughs> Paul is saying that do not let anybody judge you because of what you eat or what you don't eat or what you drink or what you don't drink or because of a holy day you decide to observe. So those of you or those who have the issue that Easter, Christmas, this day, 25th December is a pagan day, blah, 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 all those things that let no man judge you with respect to a holy day, a day you have decided to be holy. I decided to set apart unto God. Remember, holy means set apart unto God. So if a time came in the Christian law that 25th December was a time that people used or people celebrated a pagan festival, and you know at festivals, people gathered together. By a time came that the church leaders so that let us capitalize on the moment that people are gathering together to rather propagate the gospel of Jesus. So when time came and the church decided to use what 25th December as the birthday of Jesus, the same for Easter or any other day that the church decided to come with. Let no one judge us because we use 25th December 
or because we use first January, or because we use second January, that doesn't matter. Or a new moon, or Sabbath days. And if you realize it is days, not day, because all of us, all or what most people are abreast with is the fact of the Sabbath day, which is technically a Saturday. But if you study the law, that is the Old Testament or the scriptures, you realize that we had Sabbath days. There were certain periods or certain times in a year where the Sabbath day goes beyond just Saturday. But many people don't even know that. Yet still, they are fighting about the Sabbath day. Mercy. Or the Sabbath days. So all these things are talking about some of the characteristics of the law. Because under the law, there were certain meats you were supposed to eat or not to eat. There were certain things you were supposed to drink or not to drink. There were certain holy days you were supposed to observe and not to observe. Same as the new moons and the Sabbath days. And he puts the same thing over the column, which are a shadow. So the eating of the meat, the drinking, the respect of the holy day, the observance of the shadow of the Sabbath day and the new moon was a shadow of things to come. Let me end there. There's another part of the verse 17. But when I talk about realities, I will bring in that part. So you can clearly see that the law was a shadow. And my shadow is not me, or I am not my shadow. <laughs> You get it? So the issue is that the light is God. Remember in 1 John, for God is light. And I think even James also said that in whom there's no variableness, no shadow of turning. I think 1 John 1, 5, God is light. So God is the light. And what is the substance? What is God showing light on? Remember the transfiguration. What did God show light on? The baptism of Jesus. What did God show light on? The prophecies of the Old Testament, prophecies of the law and the prophets. What was the prophecy? Jesus Christ. So Jesus Christ is the reality. He is the substance. He is the prophecy of the prophets and the law. He is the main deal. He is the beloved son in whom God is well pleased. God is light. The substance or the reality is Jesus but as I said, because of sin, darkness was introduced. And that darkness came to cast a shadow. So the shadow itself is not the reality. And remember I said that the law was added because of transgression. Paul talking to us. So because sin came, the law came because of sin. And because the law came, it came to cast a shadow. But the law itself is not the reality. Hebrews 10 calls it the good things that was to come. So the law itself is not the good thing. The law itself is not the substance. The law itself is not the object. But the law casts a shadow because of sin. So the Old Testament is full of shadows of Jesus. And please, what I mean shadows, we are talking figuratively. I'm not talking about Jesus came to walk around. <laughs> he came to know. But remember, the reality is what Jesus, his person and his work. So the law is full of shadows about Jesus. And one thing about the shadow is that a shadow lacks details. Nobody can identify an object by a shadow. So if you are in a room and you see somebody's shadow coming, you can't look at the shadow and say, this shadow is Kofi's shadow or Amel's shadow or Kojo's shadow. No, because shadows lack details. But shadows give you an indication that there's an object. There's a real deal. But the shadow itself is not the real deal. 
please understand this. So whatever you saw in the Old Testament, the eating of meats or the rejection of certain meats, as Colossians 2 tells us, the observing of certain holy days, the observing of certain Sabbath days, the drinking or not drinking of some things were a shadow, were not the reality. The reality is Jesus. So the offering of sacrifices was not the real deal. Animals' blood cannot take away your sin. But God was casting a shadow of the real deal. And what is the real deal? The blood of Jesus. The lamp in the Old Testament was a shadow of the lamp of God. And who is the lamp of God? Jesus. So even John tells us, Behold the lamp of God that taketh away the sin of the world. Behold the lamp of God that taketh away the sin of the world. So whenever you read the Old Testament, what you are reading are shadows of the reality. And the reality is Jesus. He is the message of the Old Testament. He is the prophecy of the prophets and the law. He is the reality. So let's go back to Colossians 2 verse 17 which are a shadow of the things to come, but the body is of Christ. And that version says, but the reality is Christ or of Christ. So whenever you read about the festivals, whenever you read about the laws, whenever you read about the instructions God gave them, they were a shadow of the real thing. The tabernacle that God instructed Moses to build was a shadow of the real thing. And the real thing is the body of Christ. When you read about the offering of sacrifice, it's a shadow. When you read about anything, about a man not wearing a woman's clothing, all those things, whenever you read any portion of the law and the prophets, they are casting a shadow of Jesus Christ. Now, the question is, do you see Jesus when you read the Old Testament? That is why, remember, we read last week that Jesus teaching the two people of the concerning himself, Remember, um, Philip, when he met the Enoch, started with Isaiah to preach Jesus. Because these people had seen Jesus in the shadows of the Old Testament. So, for example, when you take the tabernacle God instructed Moses to build, there were several components. The candlestick, Aaron's, um, the ark, which contained Aaron's rod, the pot of manna, and the tablets. When you see the brazen altar, the author of incense, the reality. And what is the reality? Jesus and his work. So why then are you chasing after shadows when the reality has come? So it's like your father is coming into the house with ice cream and you have seen the shadow. You lie on the floor and you go and hug the shadow and you be talking to the shadow when your father is standing in front of you. That's what we are doing. We are rather engaging the shadow when the reality has come. We are rather engaging the shadow that the Sabbath day was supposed to cast onto the people. So, for example, let me say this whole thing about Sabbath. Why then did God give them the Sabbath day? Many things. But let me just summarize them in two or three sentences. God was simply teaching the people that six days of the week you are engaged in doing anything. But separate one day where all you think about and all you do is directly about me. And that is a shadow. It lacks details. It is not the real thing. What is the real thing? The real thing is in Colossians that whatever you do in word or in deed, 
do unto the Lord. In 2 Corinthians, the reality is there that in your eating or your drinking, it should all bring glory to the Lord. That is the reality. The shadow is that just use one day for God. But the reality is your whole life is for God. Your whole seven days of the week is for God. But God was what? Weaning us. So he gave us one day where we solely dedicated to his service. But the reality is that God doesn't want one day. He wants all the days of your life. So right from Genesis to Malachi, do you see Jesus? And because we do not find Jesus, remember last week we read the scripture too. Whenever Moses is read, a veil is on our face. But whoever tends to the Lord, that veil is taken off. People are reading the law with a veil. So what they are seeing is that a man shall not wear a woman's clothing. What they are seeing is that Saturday is a Sabbath. What they are seeing is that you must do this, you must not eat fish with scales. What they are seeing is that you must dress a particular way, you must keep your hair in a particular way because a veil is covering their face. So they are only seeing the shadow. But when you tend to the Lord, so when your father comes, because you are looking at the shadow, you are playing the wrong thing. But if only you will lift up your head and see your father, the scale is taken off. The way we interpret the Old Testament is by revelation. God was simply telling Peter that do not listen to the law and the prophets again because they are a shadow. Do not be talking to the shadow on the floor because the real deal has come and the real deal is Jesus. When you read about David, you must see Jesus. When you read about Joseph, oh, my favorite man, Joseph, you must see Jesus. When you read about Samson, you must see Jesus. When you read about Esther, you must see Jesus. When you read about Noah's Ark, you must see Jesus. All these stories are about Jesus and his work. But for the sake of time, I can't explain all of them from Abraham, Abraham offering Isaac to Jacob and Esau to Joshua to Samson to all these people. They are shadows about Jesus. And you know, as I've said on the podcast, Joseph is my favorite guy in the Bible. When you read Joseph, do you see the shadow of Jesus? Remember, shadows lack details, but they give you an indication that something is coming. Joseph is a shadow of Jesus. He was betrayed by his brothers. Who betrayed Jesus? Those he came to the Jews. He came to his own and his own received him not. His brothers that were the Jews because Jesus was a Jew. His Jews were the ones that killed him, that offered Jesus to be killed. The same way Joseph was sold by his brothers. And what he was sold for how much? I think 30, whatever. I, I, I want to be sure whether 30 pieces of silver or 30 something. <laughs> it's the same thing as Jesus. Even though it was his brothers that sold Jesus, Little did his brothers know that the person they sold was the one coming to save them is the same thing about Jesus. Joseph was the beloved of his father Jacob. Is the same thing as Jesus was the beloved of his father God, <laughs> the father. <laughs> Joseph was sent ahead to preserve people who were coming as his brothers because of the family that was coming. Jesus was sent to preserve us from eternal death. The whole life of Joseph is a shadow of Jesus. The whole life of Samson is a shadow of Jesus. The ark that Noah, God told Noah to build 
is the shadow of Jesus. You remember, and you see, it tells the shadow. It has so many details. And there's one I love personally. I think last week I said it that if you realize in Noah's Ark there was peaceful existence in Noah's Ark, a crocodile that would naturally eat a fowl or a chicken was playing football with it, and it was able to peacefully coexist in the Ark of or in Noah's Ark. And he's talking about the body of Jesus. Each and every one of us with diverse backgrounds, sanguine should naturally not like melancholics or cholerics will not like phlegmatics. Naturally, we should be going against ourselves. But in the body of Christ, which is Noah's Ark, we should be able to exist peacefully. That is why love is essential in the body of Christ. That same Noah's Ark, and I think I've said it before. I don't know if I've said it on this platform, but. If you read the story, after the flood came, the Bible said that anything that existed outside of Noah's Ark died. And I think I asked you a question that what happened to the fish? And I told that there's a revelation inside. It's a shadow of Jesus and his work. So the issue was, as long as you were in Noah's Ark, you were saved. And there were eight human beings who were in Noah's Ark who were saved. It's the same thing. As long as you are in Jesus, you are saved. That is all. There is no room for argument. The question is, did Noah's children or their in-laws hear the voice of God? No. Did God appear to them in a dream? No. But they believed the word of Noah and they entered the ark. If you believe the message of Jesus and you enter the ark called Jesus, you would be saved. And this is where people have issues with. When you look at Rahab, it's a shadow of Jesus. Rehab, somebody who was rejected by society and downgraded by society. Remember how she made with the two spies that because I have accepted you and I've hid you from the king, when you are coming to destroy them, do not destroy me and my family. And the two spies told Rehab something. Make sure that the day we are coming to raid Jericho, everybody should be in the house. If your brother or your sister goes to use the washroom, and it's outside the house, the blood of that person will not be upon her. So even if somebody mistakenly or by chance came to visit Rehab when the raid was going on, that person would be saved because that person was in Rehab's house. So what qualified somebody to be saved when the Israelites came attacking them, whether you were in Rehab's house or not? And Rehab's house is a shadow of Jesus. Are you in Jesus or not? That is as simple as it is. And if you look at the position of Rehab's house, the Bible said Rehab's house was in the wall. So Rehab's house was like the boundary between Jericho and the outside. Because as long as you are not in Jericho, you will not be attacked because they were attacking the city of Jericho. So Rehab's house was built on the wall. It served as the barrier between what is happening in Jericho and what is happening outside Jericho. And because I'm a science person, if you do the cell, the plant or the animal cell, in this case, we call it the cell membrane. <laughs> so the cell membrane is what permits memories a semi-permeable membrane. That means it is selective in what enters and leaves the cell. It's the same thing as Rehab's house. And it's the same thing as Jesus. Jesus is the boundary between life and death. So anybody who is at the other side of Rehab's house, that is in Jericho, you are sentenced to death. But if you are in Rehab's house or outside Rehab's house, that's on the other side, you are at life. When you read Esther, you see, a time came that Esther has to go before the king. And Esther told Mordecai that this king, if you go before him and he doesn't stretch his scepter towards you, you would, like, you have to be killed. 
that scepter that was stretched towards Esther is talking about what Jesus came to do before us. Jesus is God's rod or God's scepter that is stretched before us. So as long as the rod is stretched before us, we are delivered from the consequences of death. So Jesus is God's stretched scepter towards us because of the stretched rod. Esther's life was spared. So even though Esther was doomed for death, for seeing the king, or for coming to see the king, because the king has stretched forth the rod towards Esther, her life was preserved. And because God has stretched forth his scepter called Jesus, our lives are spared. So Paul tells that once we were enemies of God, but now we are members of the household of God. When you read you see, I can go on and on and on. When you read about Samson, the last sentence about Samson, the Bible said that Samson killed more people in his death or when he was dying than when he was alive. Samson achieved more in his death than in his lifetime. And in the same thing in John chapter 12, verse 24, when people came to see Jesus, when Gentiles came to see Jesus, you know, they came to say, Jesus, we are looking for you. And immediately, and I thought it was very funny. I think Philip was too that Jesus, two people have come to look for you, and immediately a cup of wheat, unless it falls and it dies, it abides alone. Two Jesus deep revelation. What Jesus was saying is that in my or what's in my life, I can only reach out to the Jews because I came to seek and save. I came to the lost household of the Israelites, but in my death, Gentiles will come and look for me. So when Gentiles came to look for him, it, it was spiritual. There was a ticking clock, you know, like in the agenda of God, spiritual, that, hey, Gentiles are always looking for you. And because of the death of Jesus, more people, or Jesus has been able to accomplish more in his death than when he was alive. Because of the power that death, life comes out of death. And because of that, we Gentiles can have access to God. Jesus is the message. He is the prophecy. He is the substance. And because many of us we are looking at the objects, we are howling about, about what to eat, what to wear, what to observe, what to do, when we are missing the reality that Jesus is the message. That is why if you notice, all the major healings Jesus did in the Gospels were done on the Sabbath day. And Jesus intentionally did it. Monday to Friday, he will, or Sunday to Friday, he won't heal anybody. On the Sabbath day, when he knows that the Pharisees will have an issue, then he will go into the synagogue and start healing people. And that's what was annoying the people. You know this guy, because they considered healing as work. They considered healing as work. And Jesus intentionally healed on the Sabbath. He was just simply letting them know that the Sabbath day God gave them was a shadow. And what is the reality? Jesus working. So God is expecting that every day, or God is expecting that we use our Sabbath to heal the sick, to cast out devils, to do the work of God. And when is your Sabbath? Every day is our Sabbath. Every day is for us to work the works of Him who has sent us. John tells us that this was the work of God, or for this reason was the Son of Man manifest to destroy the works of the devil. So Jesus waited for Sabbath day to be doing those things. And every day is our Sabbath. Every day 
we are on a mission to destroy the works of the devil. So every day you must preach the gospel. Every day you must pray for souls. Every day you must reach out to people. Every day you must walk in love because every day is our Sabbath. There's so much to learn about about Sabbath. But let's quickly go to types. Types is very short. And talking about types, we are simply talking about people that perform a role that was similar or that gives an indication of the role that Jesus would perform. Someone like Moses. He was a deliverer of people from what slavery. Jesus is the one ushering us into the promised land. People like Adam. That's why even Paul calls Adam the first Adam and Jesus the last Adam. Why is Adam a type of Jesus? Because due to Adam's actions, everybody that came after him is suffering from the action. So the Bible says that due to Adam's disobedience, sin entered and death has reigned. In the same way, due to Jesus' obedience, life has entered and anybody who is born of God is born into life. So Adam is a type of Jesus. Joshua is a type of Jesus. Abraham is a type of Jesus. Moses is a type of Jesus. Deborah is a type of Jesus. So all these people were talking about one person. That's why the Bible said, the law and the prophets prophesied until John. So when John came and introduced Jesus, even John, after he introduced Jesus, the next thing we heard, he's beheaded. He's gone. Because that was his mission. That was all. Do you see Jesus when you read Naomi and Ruth? Do you see Jesus when you read about Ezekiel, about Daniel? And until we see, we have not started. And the last one is allegories. And allegories is simply a story or a poem that should be interpreted to reveal its hidden meaning. And this one, Paul gave us an example. Galatians chapter 4, Paul gave us an allegory over there. Please, I will encourage us, so Galatians, Galatians chapter 4, to read the whole of Galatians chapter 4, so we get a better understanding of the allegory that Papa Paul used. But for the sake of time, I'll just be reading from the verse 24, or let's start from the verse 22. Please, let's at Galatians 4, 22. For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a bond made and the other by a free woman. <laughs> I wish I could explain this. But he was of the born woman was born after the flesh. But he was of the free woman was born by promise. Look at the verse 24. Which things are an allegory for the things or for these are two covenants. The one born on Mount Sinai, which is generous to bondage, which is Hagar. That's talking about the law. Mount Sinai, when God gave the law to Moses. And he said that when you read about Abraham having two children, one from a bond woman and one from a free woman, this thing is an allegory. It's in the Bible, Galatians 4, verse 22. And what was the allegory? So that means it was a story that contained a hidden meaning. And what was the hidden meaning? That these two women represented two covenants. And the first covenant is a covenant of bondage, which happened at Mount Sinai, which was the law. That's 24, 25, and verse 26. But Jerusalem, which is above, is free, which is the mother of us all. We can continue reading. The verse 28. Now, brethren, now we, brethren, as Isaac was, are we also the children of promise? That's the verse 28. You can read Galatians 4, 22, the following. He's saying that when Abraham was sleeping with Hagar and Sarah, to him, he didn't know what was going on. He thought he was just displaying his manhood. But little did he know that God was painting or God was sending a prophecy through his lifestyle. So because Ishmael was born out of a born woman, 
Ishmael was born into slavery. And because Isaac, who was a promised child, was born out of the wife, the legal wife of Adam, he was born into freedom. And Isaac was of the promise, meaning that Isaac did not come into existence because of Abraham and Sarah's prowess. Abraham had nothing to do with it. You see, so he said, that, I'm Ishmael or the first one was after the flesh. So it was because of Abraham's cravings to have a child and a wife forced him. He came about as a result of the flesh. But Isaac about as a result of promise. He's talking about salvation. The first child talking about the law came about because of the flesh because of Adam and Eve's sin. So they gave birth to people born in sin. So Ishmael was born in slavery because of the woman he came out from. And because we came out from Adam and Eve, we are born in sin. And he's saying that for Abraham and Sarah, it was not because of Abraham's efforts. So it was of promise. It means that it was of a divine origin. And that's why James tells us that we are being born of God. He said, who were born not of the will of man or by man, but by the will of God, by the sperma of God, which is the word of God. So I became born again by promise, by not doing anything, but by coming out. So telling that Abraham's story and him and Isaac and, and Ishmael is not about Abraham and Isaac and Ishmael. It's about Jesus. Do you see Jesus? So let's read Titus 3 verse 9. Um, Paul talking to Titus, giving an instruction, and he said, But avoid foolish questions and genealogies and contentions and strives and strivings about the law, for they are unprofitable and they are vain. It's not profitable to be arguing or deliberating about somebody as to whether to wear this, whether to eat this, whether not to eat this. Because they are unprofitable. Because all the things about the Old Testament, the law and the prophets, they were all about Jesus. So when Jesus comes in the scene, Papa Moses representing the law and Elias representing the prophets, do not matter. And the ones you are supposed to listen, you listen to Jesus. So we don't argue about the priesthood of the Old Testament, the Levitical priesthood. It was a shadow about the real priesthood, who is Jesus. There are so many Hebrews... And this is what um, Abraham understood. So even though Abraham was in the old covenant, he knew that what he was experiencing was a shadow. So in Hebrews, in Hebrews 9 verse, or verse 9, by faith, Abraham, he sojourned in the land of promise, as in a strange land. So even though he had entered the promised land, he was still living as though he was in a strange land, dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. And the promise was Jesus. Remember the prophecy of the Old Testament. For he looked for a city which had foundations, whose builder and maker is God. So Abraham knew that the promise God was giving to him cannot be a physical land. So even though he was dwelling in Canaan or the promised land, he was still looking for a city. Remember in Peter, the spirit of Christ in them, which did testify concerning the things to come. So Abraham had an unrest in him because he knew that the promise cannot be Canaan. The promise cannot be booze. The promise cannot be offerings. The promise cannot be sabbatical days. What to eat, what not to eat. The Holy Spirit is signifying that the way into the holies of holies was not yet made manifest. While as the first tabernacle was yet standing, which was a figure for the time then present in which they offered both gifts and sacrifices, which in themselves which could not make him that did the service perfect as pertained to the conscience. Talking about how the priest, 
was offering or was doing his work. And it's simply that the way or the offering or the instruction God gave them concerning offering animals as sacrifices was not the real thing because he did not even deal with the conscience of the priest. So even though, and the interesting thing was, the age of the animal would determine how long <laughs> would turtle down and all those things. The, the blood has expired. So your forgiveness you obtained was dependent on the age of the animal. But the Bible says we have a priest that lived forever. So as long as Jesus is alive, we are accepted before God. So the offering of those animals was a shadow of what the good thing. Can you imagine if this day we were told to offer sacrifices? And remember, it was the Jews who were even giving the instruction. Remember, the law was given to the Jews. So if the Jews were to observe all the sacrifices, how much more would the Gentiles? Like we would need elephants and dragons to offer to atone <laughs> for our sins. That one for like six months. So you can imagine. The real deal is the blood of Jesus. I pray that you will see Jesus. We want to spend some time in prayer. Now, Father, take away the veil. May we look unto Jesus. When we read about Abraham, may we see Jesus. When we read about Jacob, Rahel, Leah, may we see Jesus. When we read about the Noah's Ark, may we see Jesus. When we read about Jonah in the belly of the whale, may we see Jesus. When we read about Gideon, about Samson, about Deborah, about David, about Saul, about all these people who were allegories, that were figures, that were types, about the shadows of the person of Jesus. For he is your beloved son. We should listen to him. Father, we pray. I take away every scales from our eyes. May we see Jesus. May we not be like Peter. The Bible says, and when Peter took his eyes off Jesus and he looked at the way, he began to sink. May we keep our eyes on Jesus. He who tells us, running the race that is set before us, we look unto Jesus. Hey. The altar, the one who starts our faith, it only started in Jesus and it ends in Jesus. The altar and the finisher of our faith. Father, may we keep our eyes on Jesus. He is the message, He is the prophecy. May we see Jesus. May we see Jesus. If everything about the Old Testament is about Jesus, everything about your life, your life is an allegory of Jesus. Your life is an allegory on the work of Jesus. Father, we pray that every scales, every contentions about the law will be brought to peace. May we see Jesus. For these things were shadow, but Jesus is the reality. May our lives be all about Jesus. May He be the reason for our existence because He is called your way. Because the only thing you have to say concerning anything is Jesus. Father, we thank you for Jesus, for our escape route, for our Rehab's house, for our newest act, for our child of promise, Isaac, for our stretch forward of rep, our stretch scepter towards us from the king. May we see Jesus. May Jesus be seen in us. May people glorify God because of Jesus being revealed in us. Looking unto Jesus. We thank you for this revelation. In the name of our Lord Jesus. Amen. Wow. Please spend some time and listen to this over and over again. I give scriptures. You can go by it. Do the study on the room. Be like period. Last two weeks, or last week, I gave several scriptures. Go over, sit down for yourself. Get to know this for yourself. Convince and be persuaded from the scriptures. Not because somebody is saying, and I pray that a day will not be over your heart, but you will turn to the Lord. 
thank you for being around with us for nine episodes hopefully you have one more on the new testament as we draw the curtains down on the old testament and enter into the new testament and i'm sure that will be our last episode <laughs> if god doesn't bring anything new again to me for this period <laughs> remember to give god your best and to make sure the only thing you owe is love see you next week bye bye